Pam, come on up. Pam has a, a word for us today. I was hoping he'd forget. <laughs> I actually was just sharing with him something I read this morning, and then I, I learned uh, not to do that on Sundays anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I was reading in Romans chapter 15, and I wasn't going to share this one, but what you said, it, it kind of goes along with what you said there at the end. Uh, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And abound in is, contains a very large amount of. So we're to contain a very large amount of joy. And uh, then in verse, no, that was 13. I need glasses. Verse 14 says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So I, I read that and I thought, able to. Okay, so I looked up admonish, and that is warn or reprimand someone firmly, advise or urge someone earnestly, and warn someone of something to be avoided. And able is having the power, skill, means or opportunity to do something, or having considerable skill, proficiency, or intelligence. So then I thought, oh, that must mean I have to do something to learn how to admonish people. So she was sharing that with me this morning. I thought it was good. Folks, we're all involved. We should be admonishing one another. Are you admonishers out there? To me, admonishment is somewhere between rebuking and encouraging. It's like somewhere in the middle there. You, you warn somebody or encourage. This thing is a body concept. We should all be encouraging and admonishing. It's not just a one-way ticket where the preacher is preaching. We should all be encouraging one another. And Paul said he thought they could all do it. Amen? So I want to encourage you to admonish one another. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the truth of the scriptures. Lord, thank you for an anointing. We ask for, we thank you for it, Lord, for your power and ability to encourage, to admonish, to rebuke, and to exhort, Father. Lord, open our hearts and minds to the word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I've been doing uh, some study and some reading. A friend of mine recommended a book to me. And anybody like to read? Who reads? Gary reads the Bible. Anybody else read the Bible? It's my book. That's what I read every morning. I read my Bible. I don't read anything else normally, you know, 99 times out of 100 in the morning. But sometimes uh, in the evening, I'll pick up a different book. What type of books you guys like to read? Any kind? What? History books. Anybody else? True crime. Anything else? What's that? Informative. How to. What's that? Jane Austen. She's a good writer. 
Anybody else? I, I just read a lot of things. I like to um, educate myself on stuff. So I was reading this book on finances and listening to some stuff on uh, where money came from. And this, this, it's very, very interesting what you don't know and the things you can learn by reading. And uh, I don't know the exact years, but how many of you know that the dollar, the American dollar, and really most money at one time was based on gold? Who, who knows that? Who thinks it still is? Yeah. Back in, I think it was 1971, President Nixon took the U.S. dollar off of the gold standard. And really, I don't know if it was 1914 or 1917, I don't remember, but a lot of the nations of the world, uh, way back in, the, right before World War I, took money off of gold. And then in 1935, other countries did. And so virtually, money now is not based on gold. What do you think money is based on now, the foundation of money? Larry knows, right? right. Yes, it's really money is only based on your believability to believe it's worth something. I mean, we, it's really, um, you could say it's anchored on the faith in the government, right? And uh, there's just a lot of things we can learn. And I, my uh, object today is not really to give a financial lesson. I, I would just kind of mess it up. I don't know everything about it. But one of the things I have noticed, what happens when they just print money? Anybody know what happens when they just start printing? Huh? It's inflation, it lessens the value. Hope you're all aware of what's going on in our economy and why, it's, uh, why money isn't. How many knew that possibility that money is being inflated because we just print dollars? Anybody know that? Okay, you guys are aware. Good. Uh, not everybody does. They just think it happens magically. And I think politicians have a vested interest in kind of, you know, in what, what's that shell game where you have the peanut, you're moving things around and uh, they're trying to move things around. But yeah, there's cause and effect to it. And so really, because money, it really doesn't have anything uh, back of it except for the government. If your government's strong and the United States was for years, you, you might have some confidence in it. But you know, everything in this world, and this is what made me think about this, everything in the world that you try to put confidence in, I mean, almost always something happens to it, huh? You put your confidence over here, you put your confidence in money, boom, try to save money and inflation comes and... Uh, you know, inflation is like a tax. I don't know if you know that or not, but it's like a tax. They, they, they take away any savings you have. You put your faith in a government, and things, things happen in governments that disappoint you. And, uh, you know, for years, uh, you know, the, uh, Rome had a powerful government, and for years and years, Rome was very strong, maybe one of the longest-lasting governments. But even Rome, over time, crumbled, didn't it? Uh, some people I talk to, I ask about Jesus, um, ask them what they put their trust in, and they'll tell me they put their trust in science. Really? Like, science, science is going to help you? Like, um, you're going to pray to science? Uh, what do you mean you put your trust? Uh, science is, what is science? What, in the strictest form, what is science? Okay, sense knowledge, evidence, anybody else got anything else? Our teacher back here? Did you guys hear that? That was really good. A uniform way of discovering, venting, and uh, learning about the natural world. Yeah, and it, you know, science, you experiment, you discover things, you... Um, 
is all knowledge scientific? It's not absolute. Okay. Right. I, I suppose true knowledge could be absolute, but a lot of science that they say this is the way it is, then now it's not that way anymore. How, why did it change? Yeah, think, things change. Or they used to believe that in gravity or, you know, like with the theory of relativity, things really change with the theory of relativity. Things aren't what they appear. So sometimes science changed. I suppose if you had absolute knowledge, it would not change. But who has absolute knowledge? God does, right? So... But science is really, it's knowledge, but are there forms of knowledge beyond science? Or give me an example. Huh? Okay, God, beyond God, is there anything that's knowledge? Do you know something that's not scientific? You just said you knew history, is that scientific? How many think your wife is beautiful? Every man raise your hand. Where's your science on that? Where's your science on that? Uh, you said that Jane Austen was a good writer, right? Do you have any science to prove that? No, of course not. No, there's a lot of knowledge is what I'm saying that's not. So if you put your faith in science, you would miss art, beauty. There's so many things that science can't tell you. And do you know, even understanding science, you have to have faith that the universe is reasonable and logical, because if you don't have faith that the universe is reasonable and logical, you could never do one plus one. Where would you start at? Like to go out and look at a tree and to believe that you're really seeing something. And a lot of philosophers and scientists discuss these type of things. You have to have some faith that there's really something there. And everything we see, we th see through our eyes, don't we? Don't we? You're not seeing through anybody else's eyes and you're interpreting so even to believe in science requires faith, if you're going to put yourself uh, uh, faith in something. So the reason I'm thinking about this is uh, right now we live in kind of troubled times. Who would agree with that? A lot of stuff going on. People get nervous. We just came out of an epidemic, this COVID thing, and a lot of people have opinions you know, all over the place on that. And then we're, um, you know, you got inflation going on, there's a Putin's invaded, uh, Russia's invaded the Ukraine, people are worried about that, and I was thinking about what do we as Christians put our hope in? We talked about hope this morning, or how can we live as Christians? What's different about being a Christian? And I wrote down five anchors or five things that you can anchor yourself to. Christians in the midst of persecution, inflation, war, tribulation, distress, anguish, in the midst of everything, Christians should be the most optimal, I mean a true Christian, not someone that doesn't really know God, not someone that just goes to church, but somebody that really believes in and knows God and has a relationship with God through Jesus should be the most hopeful person in the world. Number one, we believe in an eternal God. Someone say amen. amen. We know this life is temporary. We know that there's something behind this physical world that is more sure and steadfast than just creation. There's something behind it. In fact, flip over to the book of Hebrews. I want to read this. I'm talking today about anchors for your soul, things that you can depend on. Folks, we should not be wringing our hands. We should not be worried. We should not be fretting. 
Because we are not like people in the world that don't have hope. We should have the answer for people. We should be people of great hope. Are you filled with hope today? Jason had that. Pam had that. Are you, are you filled with hope today? There are five things, and I'll read the scripture, that I wrote down that we can anchor to as believers. Guys, this is important. If you don't, you'll put your faith in the stock market, and then when it crashes, you will crash. I'm retiring. I got, it's like that guy that built bigger barns in the Bible. I'm going to build barns. I'll build more barns, more barns, and then I'm going to set back, and I'm just going to take it easy. And it was like, but the problem was the guy died, say, you know, his retirement was 70. He died when he was 50. And he never got to enjoy those barns. He did all that work. He built all those barns up. And God said to him, you fool. How many want God to call you a fool? He said, you fool. You're dead. It's gone. Now, where is all that you were working for? If you put your faith in the stock market and the stock market crashes, you're in trouble. Remember the Great Depression back in the late 20s, 29? There were men that had all their hope in the stock market. And when that stock market crashed, their identity, their purpose, their life was so tied up into their money, there were people jumping off of buildings in downtown New York because their money was gone, their hope was gone, their life, they were done because they put their faith in Wall Street. Sometimes we put our faith in human relationships. Anybody ever get their heart broken? Anybody want to admit that? Get your heart broken. Five anchors I wrote down. There's probably more. But the Word of God is an anchor for your soul. God cannot lie. Can't. If you know God, you're in His Word, you get revelation and understanding from His Word, or if God speaks to you and you know God has spoken to you, God cannot lie. God's Word is immutable. What's immutable mean? It doesn't change. And not only doesn't God's Word change, God doesn't change. We have an anchor in the Word of God. The fact and the reality for the Christian that God loves you that's an anchor for your soul. As a believer in Christ, God loves you. You're, you're dearly beloved by God. You need to write that down. Number one, the word of God. Number two, the love of God. Number three, the word, the love of God. And because God loves you, you have value. Anybody ever feel like you're not valued? Get feel that way, feel that way sometimes. I mean, you know, you go out in the world. I was uh, getting a suit tried on yesterday for my daughter's wedding. She's getting married in September, and I was getting a suit tried on. And me and this other guy went in. We both got fitted for our suits. She takes care of him, figures him out. I'm I'm next. I'm standing there. Then this other dude comes out. He's probably a lot bigger than me. He's muscle bound, good looking guy. Big guy, muscle bound, good looking, and it's my turn. I'm standing there, and that lady just walks up to him. Can I help you? And I'm just standing there with my baggy trousers on, like, you know, okay, you know. Felt like I was kind of being ignored, right? Maybe I wasn't valued as much as this 
good-looking guy there standing next to me. But there are many things in life where we're overlooked or we don't feel valued. Listen, our value comes from the Father God. You are valued. Whether The Bible says if your mother and father forsake you, God will pick you up. You need to anchor your soul in that in troubled times. God loves you. You are valuable to God. You're important to God. And then our identity, who we are as human beings. We are created by God in His image. You're an image bearer. When God sees you, He sees a valuable person. He sees someone He loves that's created after His image. And that's not just our physical attribute. That's the core of who we are. We're spiritual beings made in God's image. We, God is a speaking being. Did you know that? You're a speaking being. God is a love being. The Bible says God is love. When you're born again and the Spirit of God comes inside of you, you rebirth or that image of God is rebirthed in you. You should know that. That's the number one thing I preach on. I'll probably preach on it every other week. I can't get away from it. We are born again. We are created in the image of God. I've got scripture, scriptures on all these things, and I may go back through them, but I want to make sure I touch these, and I want to talk about mostly today the Word of God. And then, because we're created in the image of God, we have the ability, the power, and the authority of God through His Word. We can put God's Word in our mouth. We can speak the very Word of God we can live out the Word of God, and we can make a difference in our world. We're not just victims. Joseph wasn't a victim. Daniel wasn't a victim. Someone say amen. amen. And you're not a victim either. You and God are a majority. I don't care what you think about yourself. I don't care about your experiences. I don't even care about your past. God doesn't care about your past, but God is very interested in your future. In fact, God has purposes and plans and design for you. He loves you. You're made in His image. You're valuable. You're an image bearer. And God wants to make a difference in this world through you. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that we're the body of Christ for no reasons. We are the hands. Someone say amen. Come on, help me. We are the hands and feet of Jesus in this earth. You actually have the ability, not by might nor by power, but you have the ability through the Word of God to back the devil down. Did you know that? You do. The Bible says we can resist the de devil. Now, if you're not submitted to God, you better take care of that first. Amen? You better take care of submitting to God first, because if you try to back the devil down and you're not submitted to God, it's you against the devil, and he's crafty. And he'll run all over you. You're submitted to God, and you've given your life to God, and Jesus Christ is in you. You have the ability to put the Word of God in your mouth and make a difference. I almost hate to slow down to go over this. i got two scriptures i, I got to go over. I think I'm just going to roll with this for a minute. Jesus came to earth. He was 100% God. He always existed. He was not a created being. But Jesus became a man, and he identified with man, and he became a man for us. And he became a man to do something for us, but he also modeled what it would be like if you were completely faithful to, to the Father God, if you were completely dependent on God. He showed us human potential to the max. Someone say amen. amen. 
What do you mean, Brother Brad? I mean, Jesus showed you what it's like to walk in victory in life. What it's like to go through suffering, persecution, and triumph over it all. He even showed us it is possible to die and win. In fact, the all of the Christian life really is about learning how to die to ourselves, to the world, to the devil, and to be resurrected somebody new. Anytime the evil one smashes you or you get beat in life or you get beat up in life, there's always a lesson God wants to rebound you. I've preached it many times. You're like those weebles. They wobble, but they don't fall down. Weebles, they go down, and because of the resurrection power of God, because you're created in the image of God, Jesus came to show you how to win. Would anybody like to win every now and then? I'd like to win sometimes. Anybody ever been beat? Do you know, and I thought about this a lot. I wish I, I, wish I was a better, slow, progressive teacher, but I, th I thought about this a lot. In life, we do get tested. Come on. Anybody ever go to school? Did anybody ever get tested in school? I think now they probably just want to pass you or fail you, right? Little Jimmy passed. You know, Johnny, I mean, you know how they are now. They want to... No, when I was going to school, are they still giving tests, Gid, in school? All right, they're still giving tests. When I was going to school, you had tests. You could get a C. You could kind of waddle through and get a C. Anybody get any C's out there? I did. You could get a B, that's better. C is kind of waddling through. B is better. But, you know, really, we want to get an A. At least most of us want to get an A. When you take a test, there's different grading systems. Life throws tests at you. But it is possible in school that you could actually fail a test. Will anybody be honest with me this morning and say, Brad, I failed a test or two? Amen. I failed a test so bad one time, and I got an A on it, that graded on a curve. I had like a 55 or something like that, and it was like one of the best scores in the class, they graded on a curve, and my failure became an A. Isn't that great? It'd be nice if life did that to you, wouldn't it? But folks, we take a test in school, we can pass or fail. Do you know in life, not everybody passes the test? Did you know that? I'm going to prove it to you in a second. Even in your Christian walk... Whether you pass or fail the test does not determine whether God loves you. God made up his mind a long time ago that he loved you. He knew the mistakes you were going to make. He knew who you were. He knew what you were going to do. He made up his mind. He loves you, and you're really not going to change that. Amen? But that doesn't mean you can't fail a test. You know, do you think, I hear, I read in uh, some Christian news and stuff, there's pastors that... Uh, they wind up doing crazy, stupid things. They run off with their secretaries. You hear stories. They were at some hotel with some lady, and they were married, and the church, they have to quit their... Anybody hear about stuff like that ever? You're better off if you don't read it, right? You know, I'm exposed to the... It happens out there more often than it should. Mega church pastors, this happens. I'm not here to throw stones at them, but what I'm telling you, do you think they passed the test? They did not pass the test. It is possible to fail the test. Has anybody ever known anybody to be unfaithful? That's a failure. You can be unfaithful in marriage. You can be unfaithful at work. You can be unfaithful in, in, as, a, as a Christian. You can be unfaithful. God is wanting and desiring to tool us and to equip us so we can pass these challenges 
and these tests in life. I think sometimes the way preachers preach, they preach grace-like, and grace is grace. We're forgiven. We're saved. Jesus loves us. That's our identity. He lives inside of us, but that does not mean that you can be indifferent to God, indifferent to the scriptures, do what you want, and think you're going to soar through life. Someone say amen. Sometimes grace is preached like that just do whatever you want and God's going to take care of it and it's all going to work out just the same. Do you believe that? That's not true. The things that we do, the things that we do, the, the way we believe God, the way that we live our life makes a difference in our life and other people. You can fail a test. Can you? Can't you fail? I've made mistakes in my Christian walk. What God promises us, folks, is that you can get back up. Anybody fail in a test with the Lord besides me? I have. But you know what? The good news, because of God's grace and His mercy, God will set you right back up. He will put the Bible right back in front of you. He'll put some preacher right back there to remind you. And he'll say, now get back up to the plate. And you'll probably go through the same test all over again. Or something like it. It's like the children of Israel going 40 years around and around and around in the wilderness. You know, and all they did was complain and die. I don't believe that was God's will for them. I want to admonish you. Thank you, Sister Kittle. I want to encourage you. Guys, God is equipping you to pass the test. And the number one thing I'm going to say this morning, how God wants to equip you is with the Word of God. Hebrews 11 says, now faith, verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So you have someone I say that out loud. The worlds were framed by the word of God. How were the worlds made? By the word of God. That things, says, so that the things which are seen were not made out of things which do appear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that's made in this universe is made by the Word of God. Now, that should give you great hope, because if it's made by the Word of God in that invisible realm, what can change things on the earth right now? If things are made by the Word of God, what's the one thing that can change things? The Word of God. And I'm going to show that to you. I don't have time to preach at all. I wish I did today. I was reading, I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 4 here in a second because I want to get this. I want you to put the Word of God in your mouth. I want you to read the Word of God. I want you to learn to put it in your mouth and speak it out of your mouth. I was reading in Ezekiel last week. And I, this, anybody ever get an understanding from God? Or some, God was showing me something, Jace. I started questioning. I said, God, why with the prophets? Why do you always go tell the prophets? He says, I'm going to put my word in you, and I want you to eat the scroll, Ezekiel chapter 3. I want you to eat my word. I want you to digest it. I want you to get it down in your spirit, chew on it, get it down in your belly, 
And then Ezekiel, I want you to go prophesy to my people. You chew on it, you digest it, and then you go speak the word to my people. And it wasn't an easy word for them. Or then, other times in the book of Ezekiel, he would say, I want you to chew on my word, I want you to digest it, and then I want you to speak to Gog. And I want you to speak to Russia. And I want you to speak to Egypt. And I want you to speak, start speaking to nations. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute, God. God, why don't you just speak to nations? Why don't you, God, just go speak to Israel? And we know Jesus did come and speak to Israel. Someone say amen. But I'm like, God, why don't you just come and speak to them? Why isn't every time that God wants to say something, he grabs a man by the nap of his neck, shakes him up and down. Guy, the prophets go through so much. They're persecuted. They're stoned. They're hated. They're misunderstood. And they want to quit. And God just shakes them by the neck. He puts his word in them. And he says, now go prophesy. Someone say amen. amen. Why does God do that? Do you know Paul said, do you want proof that God is speaking through me? Paul said, God, Christ, speaks through me. So I, realizing this, folks, that when a man, number one, when you're preaching, you should be hearing from God, but number two, when God speaks to you and puts something in you, he expects you to be praying it out, speaking it out, and living it out. You are not a passive person where you're just thinking everything is going to just happen. God wants us to pray. Why would God tell us to pray for our nation if it didn't make a difference? Someone say amen. Why would God want us decreeing and praying if we're just doing it, being religious? Let's quit. Let's go to the Moose Lodge tonight. Let's do something. You know, why just go pray if we're just being religious, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. Anybody? belong to the Moose Lodge. I mean, what, I, what I'm saying, listen, if that's all we got going, we're just being religious, why do it? God puts his word in you. God speaks to you because he wants you to speak and to pray and to make a difference. Our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He wants agreement on the earth. He'll agree in heaven he wants us to agree on earth. You want your kids saved? He'll agree in heaven. He wants you to agree on earth. And the devil wants to squash it all out of you. But you don't have to let him. Someone say amen. amen. You're a difference maker if you want to be. You're more than a conqueror if you want to be. You can speak and make a difference in the lives of others if you want to. This world is passing away. Gold is passing away. Wall Street is passing away. Kings and kingdoms are passing away. But this world was created by the eternal God with his eternal word. And he wants you to put that eternal word in you. And there's tons of scriptures on it. I'm going to go to one I'll have to finish up for today. I might come back next week and revisit some of this. I don't want us to be passive. I don't want you to feel like you're a steamroller for the devil. Sometimes that's the hardest thing you can do when you're hurt and your heart is broken is to stand up and put God's word in your mouth and tell God what you're believing. I had someone hurt me so bad, someone close to me, it wasn't Pam. She's only done good to me. She hurt me so bad and I just feel like a steamroller is going over me. And you get off the phone, you hang it up, and the Lord says, always says, watch what you say. 
And I just started speaking the opposite of everything that they told me. I just started declaring their salvation. I started declaring the truth of God. I started declaring the word of God. You do that for a few minutes and all of a sudden something happens. All of a sudden, those tears and that whiny voice disappear. All of a sudden, that pouting and crying disappear, and something gets in your backbone, and you start standing up and says, it is going to be like God said it would be. God said it's going to be this way. That's exactly how it's going to be. I'm going to believe God in the midst of it. Sometimes you get a report from the doctor, and we fold like cheap lawn chairs. Oh, God, I'm going to die. It would be good to stand up and say, no, I'm not. I'm not done yet. It's going to be like God told me it's going to be. It would be good to stand up to the devil and say no. Someone say no. no. Doesn't the Bible says resist the devil? Lesson number one. I want everyone to repeat after me. No. no. Isn't that good? No. It's not going to be that way. Like I said, make sure you're submitting to God. That's the chief part of it. Submit to God. Jason, say no. It's not going to be that way. Turn over to Matthew chapter 4. Am I doing okay? I want to get the Word of God in us. I want to get it in me. I don't want to be a victim. I want to be a victor. It may not always look like you think it's going to look, but the Word says that faith overcomes the world. That's what it says. Faith overcomes the world. If you die and you win, you're a victor. Jesus, with one pinky, two hands tied behind his back, and blindfolded, could have beat the devil, because he's God eternal. Someone say amen. amen. He could have beat the devil, one hand tied behind his back, blindfolded. But he operated and limited himself and dealt with the devil as a man. Why would he? God doesn't deal with the devil. The Bible says that when Satan fell out of the sky, when he tried to mess with God's kingdom, he fell like lightning from heaven. All God has to do is, boom, the devil's done. But Jesus did combat with the devil as a man. He was God always, but he, he wasn't, he was, Jesus could be tempted. Did you know that? That's his humanity. God can't be tempted. There was a real temptation, and Jesus was tempted. That was his humanity. God can't even be tempted. The devil's nothing for God. Jesus was showing us how to deal with our enemy. Okay, we're going to start. I, I, there's so much in chapter 3, it's amazing, but I, I can't go there. Then Jesus was led by who? The Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Anybody ever be tempted by the devil? And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. I've done a two-day fast, and before and during and afterwards, I was hungry. I don't know how Jesus afterward was hungry, but I guess it's Jesus. Afterwards, he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. This is why I wish I could go back. Jesus had just got baptized in the water. Holy Spirit filled him up. And the Father God said to Jesus before he ever did one miracle, before he ever walked out his three-year ministry, the Father God said to Jesus just before this, he says, you 
are my beloved son. You are my beloved. God just said that to him. You are my beloved son. Amen? And right around the corner, God tells him, you're the son. You're my beloved son. Satan comes right behind. And what does he say to him? If you are the son of God. He challenged him immediately. Oh, you're the son of God? You believe in healing? You believe God's going to bless you? You believe you can resist temptation? You believe you're going to do, do what God told you to do? You believe you're going to get a new house? You believe you're going to, this is going to happen? You believe the promises of God? Is that right? If, boom. And Jesus just reared back and spoke the word of God and told him, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. Did Jesus have any tool there that you don't have? What was his weapon? The Word of God. Do you have the Word of God? Same, same Word, same God, same Scripture. I look around me, folks, and I know we get in battles. And I know they hurt. And I know life comes at us. But Jesus had the same weapons as we do. And he goes on. He says, okay, you're going to use the word of God on me, huh? That's the devil thinking about it, I suppose. And he answered, he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him uh, to a holy city. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, every word that God speaks to you, your enemy will challenge it. Oh, really? You're going to do that? Hmm. Is that right? Boom. Going to challenge you on it. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Now get this. The devil even quoted scripture to him. Isn't that something? He will give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said back to him, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So Jesus rightly divided the word. Satan's throwing the word out there, trying to confuse him. Jesus being the word, one with the word, rightly, he spoke the word of God right back to him. And I won't, I won't go through the last temptation, but three different times, Jesus backed the devil down. And this is number one point in my five points in my message. Number one point is the word of God is eternal and it has an effect on this temporal world. When it's five tail. That is write this down, Brandon, write it down. Psalms chapter one. The reason David and the Holy Spirit is telling us to meditate on the Word of God day and night. The Holy Spirit knows, God knows, the devil knows. When that Word of God assimilates and you and your walk with God, you become one with the Word in thought, in your spirit, and in your life, you'll start getting victory when you start believing God. And the answer is to meditate in the Word of God day and night. Get it inside your heart. He said, the man that does that is like a tree. Remember I taught about types and shadows? Types and shadows. The man that does that is like a tree. His roots are going down into the, 
eternal foundation of God. Not temporary soil, not mud and earth, but the eternal soil of God in the river of God. In fact, in heaven, there is a river in heaven that springs from the throne of God that's clear as crystal, and there's trees by it, and those trees have their roots going down into that Word of God. That's the same root and tree that we bear down into when we meditate in the Word of God and get that stuff inside of us, and we begin to walk after it, we begin to look like it, we begin to smell like it, we begin to think like it, and then we begin to walk like our Lord. Amen? Amen? And that is the point, isn't it? And nobody is beyond that grace of God in their life. So to me, I want to encourage you to be meditating, considering on the Word of God. If you're not submitted to God, you better take care of that. Get your life submitted to God. Put that Word in you. And when things come at you, say what Jesus says about it. Speak and believe what Jesus tells you about it. I'll close with this. I've gone into my prayer closet, Jace, many times, feeling like a 90-pound weakling, beat up, discouraged, frustrated, never going to be that way, and go in and get in my prayer closet and start praying, spending time in God's Word, and I start to hear from the Lord, and everything starts looking different. When I spend a little time with, the, everything starts looking different. God starts to speak to me. says, Brad, that's not the way it's going to be. It's going to be this way. That's not the way it's going to be. It's going to be this way. I don't know what we do as Christians if we don't spend time with our Father and find out what He's saying about our life and our situation. Amen? Amen. The Word of God is a number one weapon or the number one weapon we have against our enemy. You are loved by God. That's not even a question. You're valued by God. That's not even a question. You're identified with God. You're made in his image. That's not even a question. And because of that, you're an image bearer. You can walk like Jesus. You can put the word of God in your mouth and have victory. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. And oh, Father, I know it's not always easy to learn to resist our flesh and the feelings and the emotions. I know the stuff that comes at us, the fear, the worry, the emotions. I pray for us, Lord, to be strengthened with might by your spirit in our inner man. Some of you would say to me, I'm not giving an altar call, I just want to know. How many would say to me, Brad, that's for me. That word today is for me. I need that. Amen. Amen. All right, Father, you, you know it is. Father, I pray for all of us, God, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, God, we'll be strengthened with might by your spirit. I pray that we'll be people of the word, rooted and grounded in the word of God, rooted and grounded in Christ rooted and grounded in love, that you would teach us how to pour everything that we need from the nutrients of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It's exactly 12 o'clock.